It's time for JT the Brick. How we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinionated sports talk host. We have a goal. We have ideas. We know exactly what we want to do here. Just win, baby. The Raiders' schedule is brutal. It's a second-place schedule that's front-loaded heavy and back-loaded heavy. The fans of the Raider Nation. Sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. I'm talking about the notorious ones, the out-of-control fans, the passionate fans. All of you fans are invited to be a part of the show. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose. And that's it. Use the phone like a weapon. Enjoy everything we do. And please always feel welcome to call in and to tweet and to be a part of the show. Fair enough? And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody, to Raider Nation Radio, right here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. We're brought to you by Resorts World, where this Monday, coming up Monday, night football i will be there in person at doghouse saloon which is right there when you come off the elevators that's the home of our monday night football show there's so much happening at resorts world now over the holidays everything they're doing i think you want to get to resorts world just walk the property see all the greatness of it it's a term i use with scott sabella often the president of the property the greatness that is resorts world every time i go there it gets greater greater and greater the vision sports and what they're doing to entertain locals and everyone internationally who now make resorts world the destination when they get off the plane here in vegas resorts world Proud partner of Monday Night Football at Doghouse. Also, Red Tail is where we also go for some great sports and interaction. Wanted to play the soundbite here for a second and set it up. Okay, so let's set this up for a second. You don't want to hear anything anymore, Raider fans. And I'm talking all of you, almost the majority of you. It's, a, it's much more the majority of fans who are angry than the fans who want to hear reasoning. Because you don't want to hear reasoning anymore. I know. My name's on the show. I see you. You do not want to deal with reasoning. You want to deal with sky is falling, which is fair. I'm upset. I'm paying this much for a ticket. We're not winning. I get all of it. I'm a season ticket holder. And when I look at this team, I got to kind of step out of my bubble, get back in my bubble, like the boy in the plastic bubble. I just found something, Bobby. I am the boy in the plastic bubble. I'm in the Raider bubble a couple of days a week, then I'm outside the Raider bubble. But I'm always protecting the shield. My job is to make sure that we're respectful to the shield of the Raiders and what they're trying to do and have a conversation on the radio. And Josh McDaniels is trying to instill a plan with Dave Ziggler that's bumpy at best. But the plan, they believe, is to be rock solid on how they're going to sustainably build a playoff team. So that's not one year in, six years out, one year in, three years out. Every Raider fan wants that. You don't want to go to the playoffs once with Ritz Passaccia having to win four in a row and then not go back for three or four years. You want to go every year. That's why Dave and Josh were hired, to try to figure out how to do that so they live there every year the way Andy Reid is now doing in Kansas City. And it's turning out to be a tall task. It's very hard to do because it's a hard business. Winning football games is very difficult. So I listened to the entire press conference today with Josh McDaniels. I'll be sitting down with him tomorrow and I wanted you to hear this soundbite as he was asked about the plan, what's happening this year. Here's his answer. There's a lot of things. It's not one thing. Um, and, again, I, when I first got there, it wasn't there. You know, it wasn't there. And, uh, you know, it took a little time, and it took some, some painstaking processes, um, you know, and, and, some, and a lot of effort, a lot of work a lot of um, creating of good habits, new habits in many regards that weren't there before because, you know, that's when you change, you know, 
when you change visions or philosophies or cultures, um, it doesn't. It just doesn't happen overnight, where everybody just all of a sudden is the same, you know, and adopts it. And we're not all from the same background. We're not all from the same place. Um, and and we're going to try to do it the best way for us here. We're not trying to copy everything that we that we've you know that Dave and I have been a part of. We're trying to do some of it, but also we're taking a lot of input from other people and trying to figure out what works best for us. And but there's a lot of things that that go into that. You know, scouting, personnel acquisition, pr draft process, free agency, player development, player acquisition. Uh, you know, just all of that stuff really goes into staff building, team building. Um, there's a lot that goes into ultimately having something that you can say, man, I feel pretty good about what we have here. Everybody's on the same page, and now we're going to continue to work to, to keep it sustained as we go forward. And so, um, again, I'm not patient in terms of trying to win and lose. We want to win every time we step on the field. That's what we're trying to do. But I, I do have some understanding of the type of patience we may need in order to ultimately get to where we're trying to go. That's the best explanation I've ever heard from him. And that happened today about an hour or so ago. That's the best explanation I've heard from him about how difficult it was, which you don't remember, how difficult it was to start it and turn it around and how bad it was in New England to get it to where they wanted it to be, which was a dynasty. And I'm not saying that the Raiders are going to be a dynasty if they get this right, but I'm saying what they needed to do. He just explained it, I thought, perfectly. Perfectly explained what they're trying to do. Now you can criticize it all you want, and you, you have the right to. But that's the plan that they're using in place. Part of the plan, which he explained, which is how they did it in New England, plus the new voices they're bringing in to listen to other people. Now, I don't know how many people are listening to Josh McDaniels intently every day, buying into his plan. How could I? But that's what he's preaching, and he just told that to the seated media over at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. That's it. That's the latest new content, real content. Instead of a YouTube blog with a guy with his face painted screaming, fire everybody. You might want to watch that for entertainment. Maybe you believe it. And then you want to have go on the other side of the pendulum, hear the head coach, the head coach, and what he had to say today. And he wasn't hiding from that. And, I, and I'm not accustomed to hearing him talk that way. Not that he wouldn't, but he was asked about it specifically because the team is struggling. So that's a good jump off for you to jump in and tell me what you think of that. And do you, you respect it? Do you believe in it? Or do you understand it? 702-365-9200. And every call has been negative, so I expect to hear some negative calls. But maybe someone gets that plan and maybe something clicked today as you as a fan heard that and said, man, I've been crushing this guy. I've been crushing this guy. But that seems kind of right. It makes sense. He explained what happened before in New England how they want to win every game, but they understand the patience level you have to have. I think you understand that Mark Davis has the patience. You know, Mark Davis could say, I have the patience, I'm behind him. But then you see these rogue articles come out about money or this or that. Mark Davis is doing very fine here in Las Vegas with the revenue stream of the Las Vegas Raiders. But people throwing out content left and right. A lot of guessing going on. But l let me promise you this. No one's guessing that the Raiders are underachieving. They are. No one's guessing that the Raiders are two and seven. They're two and seven. That's real. I always use the term my swim coach gave me in high school. It was up on the board. Excuses die. The record stands. Stay with me my entire life since I was captain of my swim team in high school, graduating in 1983, do the math. And it was excuses die. The record stands. And I don't, think, I don't hear the coach making excuses. He's not an excuse guy. 
he comes out of that Belichick tree. There's no excuses. But maybe some players are going to start to have some excuses. Hey, man, let me point at that guy. You know, that guy's not getting out of the tub quick enough. That guy's not as prepped as I'm prepped. That guy's not as bought in as I'm bought in, right? That's what's, that's what's happening here, that there's noise going on in the background, and some people like to gravitate to noise. Some people like to go and gravitate to the negative energy. Some people are super positive. Most people are in between. But in reality, I'm noticing this year a lot of people are gravitating to the negative, and they're doing that for two reasons. One reason is the team won 10 games last year with an interim head coach. And secondly is that everybody is getting gut-punched by these close losses. The close losses, something I'm learning about. I'm learning about. I've been in many Raider games over my career. I commuted 17 years. I commuted twice a week to Oakland. Most people don't know that. They just thought I lived in the Bay or they didn't know I lived in Vegas. And I would get on a plane on Tuesdays to host the TV shows. And then I would get up when, only when they played at home and some, sometimes going on the road, I would travel up to Oakland every Sunday. And with many times I'd get on Air Bart and I'd take Air Bart to the Oakland airport and I'd get on the plane and then I'd land in Vegas at McCarran Airport and then I would drive home to my wife and my young sons. And, you know, at that point in time, there were a lot of gut punch losses, but this year they seemed to hurt more because I live in Vegas and the team was eight and eight, 10 and seven, and now they're far under 500. So these losses I know I speak for you, seem to hurt a little bit more than the ones that happened in the 90s and the 2000s and after 2010. These ones seem to hurt. I was there the last Oakland game when they lost to Jacksonville. That one hurt. So we have a little bit of experience in this, but we want it all to change and turn around. All right, 702-365-9200. Greg is in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you're there, Greg, thanks for holding. What do you got? Hey, JT. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, thanks. Listen, man, I think the frustration just goes to we've heard we had to learn to win from a coach and a quarterback, from, and they both knew how to win already together. So we heard they had, we had to learn how to win. Well, they won last season. These are experienced gentlemen that know how to win. The teams knew how to win. The coaches knew so how to win. So let me stop you. Hold on, hold on. Let me stop you because you didn't mm-hmm. hear it on my show. Did you, think, did you think with everything that happened last year in the hiring of Josh McDaniels, knowing the roster, knowing the roster, what they needed, the offensive line, all that, did you assume Did you assume before the season started that they were going to win 11 or 12 games? No, no, I okay. did not. I Just did checking. not. I was not. I was real saying, mm-hmm. okay, there's a change. There's all this. Mm-hmm. For me, I just got frustrated hearing that they said they needed to learn how to win. That's what really drove me nuts because I've watched them win. And, then we, and now we get to this point to where, okay, it's just going to take some time to build everything and get mm-hmm. this. Just a question, why didn't we hear that in the very beginning? Was it, well, were they truly learning how to win, or was this, was this the plan overall in the very beginning? Yeah, I think, I, think the plan, I think the plan when they got hired, great question. I think the plan when they got hired – and they got vetted for a long time by Mark Davis and Dave Ziegler and Josh had to decide if they were going to take the position, and they did a deep, deep, deep dive on the roster and what they had and how fortunate it was. I won't say lucky, the breaks, how fortunate it was that the Raiders made the playoffs. I think they told Mark Davis, look, we got more work than it looks like here. We got more work than we think you, th- you know, we think we have here or the fans. We got to really get down in the mud and, and get this thing to a higher level. So I, I think they acknowledged that in the beginning, but they never thought they'd have two wins after nine games. 
Okay. And then the urgency of the team not being there, where we saw it last year and winning does that. That's understandable. Yeah. But is it's just an overall combination of everything now. Mm-hmm. I'm just scratching my head, JT. Yeah, and you should. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. You're very, very kind to give me a few moments on Sundays mm-hmm. when I text you frustrated. I appreciate that. Yep, no but, problem. But it's, it's, I'm ready. I'm ready for the process. I'm mm-hmm. not the guy that's saying fire everybody. I'm all for the process. I'm ready to beat the donkeys because we know they suck. We're just going to move on from there. I appreciate listening to you out here in Arizona, and I always Thank appreciate you, the time you take for me, my oh, friend. Oh, well, you kidding me? You're one of the greats. You're one of the greats, man. I wish you were here in Vegas. We were out on the boat, and you weren't in Arizona. You kidding me? You know, that's, that's what it comes down to, frustration and diehard fans trying to believe in the system or not because they can't believe the record. They can't believe the record and what's happening now. But they're, they're having a tough time agreeing with the plan or Mark Davis's comments or what Josh McDaniel said today about the patience level. And that's understandable. I'll mention, I'll mention Elon Musk later and what he told the Twitter workers, the Twitter staff today. They're pretty frustrated up at Twitter because the boss said something that no one seems to like. I'll get to that. And, hey, coming back, I'm going to tell you about Jim Plunkett and what I was able to do with him last night. It was special. Oh, yeah, I never take it personal. I'm, I'm just the one that's been here the longest. <laughs> you know, uh, I had some older players that were here longer than me say, don't worry, it'll be your turn someday, too. Y'all going to feel like, oh, yeah, well, that stuff happens. I'm not. I'm mad at it, too, so don't worry about it. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio as we continue here on a beautiful day, cold, crisp day, here on the flagship of the Silver and Black, and we're brought to you by Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. I'm going to be there Friday doing our podcast, New Location. We've had some really good conversations that I'm proud of, and they all live at lvsportsnetwork.com with movers and shakers in town, people that I'm friends with, conversations with people that I've wanted to have my whole career. And we've had some really good ones I'm proud of. And now this week we're going to have Jeremy Anderson, who is one of the greatest golfers in the history of Vegas, won a national championship for UNLV, and a lot of people who can hear my voice here in Vegas know who Jeremy is, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Famer. And Kevin Ioli is going to come down and sit down with me, the combat writer, the combat writer for Yahoo, who covers boxing at the highest level in the world. So we're going to have a nice, you know, just a 20-minute conversation with the headsets on, and the conversations are all about their life, their career, and how they've been on a journey. So I really like having those conversations and look forward to more. So that's going to be in their new spot. It used to be Money Baby. Now it's called Skybox. It's on the second floor of Virgin. Beautiful view at the pool. If you got nothing to do or you want to come by and have a cocktail and go to dinner at Virgin, Olives or One Steak, any of their great restaurants that they have there, Night and Market, or you can go anywhere just out by the pool and have a beverage, uh, join me there Friday. I'll be there from 4 to 6 or 4 to 5.30, and then uh, my wife is taking me to college basketball, her team, the Fighting Illini, so I'm excited about that. So this week has been intense, obviously so. Uh, tomorrow I'll sit down with head coach Josh McDaniels, and we'll talk about the Broncos going forward again. I'm not going to open up the interview saying, Coach, the world sucks. It's coming to an end. Are you keeping your job? That's not the conversation. The conversation is on the studio set of the Las Vegas Raiders talking about the Denver Broncos 
and how this team could wake up and get going. So that's coming up tomorrow. But I wanted to slow the pace down and tell you what happened with me last night, which was really cool. Got an opportunity last night at Allegiant Stadium to MC a chalk talk with Jim Plunkett. And we all love Jim Plunkett, right? Who doesn't love the great Plunk? And I, go to, I went to the stadium last night around 4.30, and I sat down. They had an area set up for us in a suite with our alumni team, who are fantastic, Callie and Katie and Jim. So I'm sitting with Jim, and I know the questions I'm going to ask. It's an hour conversation, 45 minutes about his life and career. And we're sitting down in this area, and his phone rings. And it's an interesting phone ringing sound. And it's the, it's the uh, ringtone for the good, the bad, and the ugly the great Clint Eastwood movie. And the young gals who were there with us never heard of it. And he asked me, and I go, yeah, that's Clint Eastwood and the movie. And I go, why? Did Clint Eastwood call? He goes, no, no, a friend of mine uh, that we both know Clint. And I stopped and I go, you know Clint Eastwood? And he goes, yeah, Clint and me go back. We're we're great friends. I go, you got to be kidding me, Jim. You got to tell me a Clint Eastwood story. So he goes back, and I'm I'm talking the 80s when he's Jim Plunkett. Right. And he becomes this. He's a Bay Area legend at Stanford. So I don't know exactly when he I I recall when he met Clint Eastwood. But he talked about all the times that he played golf with them, had drinks with them and this great friendship. And you think, you know, someone I've known Jim over the years, but I never knew that about him. And he sat there for about five minutes and told Clint Eastwood stories, mostly about belly up to the bar. How cool is that in Carmel hanging out with Clint Eastwood? You walk into a bar, right? You got Clint Eastwood and Jim Plunkett hanging out at the bar, telling football and movie stories. So that was really fun. So then we got up on the stage, and it was Bank of Nevada. They're a big sponsor and partner for the Raiders. And we just had a conversation about Jim's life. And I know a lot about it, but Jim took me on the road, and everybody was just locked into him in the crowd. He talked about his early youth. As you know, his parents were blind, born blind. So Growing up as a kid with the siblings, they had to move furniture around the house. They had to move stuff for their parents as their parents would get up and walk around. And his parents would hear his football games. Let that sink in. Not to be able to watch him, but to hear him play football. Then he becomes an icon. And he was a great high school player. And from the San Jose area, he ends up going to Stanford. And Stanford was his dream. And not only was he so highly recruited, Jim Plunkett was, that Notre Dame wanted him. He's a Catholic, and he always loved Notre Dame. And other schools were all recruiting him, and he chose Stanford, one of the greatest academic institutions in the world, where Jim's still involved with heavily with his wife, Jerry. So Jim went on to talk about how tough of a road it was there. He had a throat procedure when he got there, so he couldn't play his freshman year. I didn't know about that first time he talked about it. And he talked about it in public, that he had a cancerous growth removed from his throat. Did you know that? I didn't know that about Jim Plunkett. Freshman year at Stanford. Next year, his sophomore year, he's leading the scout team. And as he said, just getting my butt kicked every day in practice. And then quickly, he becomes the starter, has an unbelievable year. And then his senior year, he wins the Heisman Trophy. Remember, blind parents on welfare. He's on welfare, his parents, his entire life. Ends up going to Stanford. Has to sit out his freshman year, sophomore year. He's on the scout team. Senior year, he's holding the Heisman Trophy at the Downtown Athletic Club. And who did he beat? Anybody know the trivia? Who did he beat? The three nominees total. Jim Plunkett, Joe Theismann, and Archie Manning. And Jim wasn't getting the respect around the country. A lot of people didn't see him play for obvious reasons. West Coast, Stanford. 
I don't know if people watch Stanford games in Boston, New York, Detroit, Miami. So a lot of people didn't think he would win. He won it, deservingly so. He goes to the pros. Obviously, he gets drafted by New England. He's the rookie of the year. So one of the people in the crowd, I noticed as I'm emceeing this event, he's shaking his head, and I stop. And I go, pretty amazing, huh, the story we're hearing. I go, think of his trophy room. Jim Plunkett, at that time it was the Pac-8, not the Pac-10, the Pac-12. He ends up becoming the Pac-8 MVP, the Rose Bowl MVP, the Heisman Trophy winner, and then the Rookie of the Year in the NFL, all in like a two-year period. That all changed for a gentleman who grew up with blind parents who were on welfare and had to take care, and he told the story, I had to get on the bus every summer to go visit his grandparents in New Mexico to check in on them. I mean, a remarkable human being. So we're going through all this Raider chaos. They can't win a game. They're two and seven. So I'm immersed in this conversation. And then Jim talks about going to San Francisco. And then he gets cut. He gets cut. And he says to the crowd, he goes, the low point of my career. I'm cut by the 49ers. I might not ever play again. Two weeks later, I get a call from Al Davis. Al Davis calls me. And he says, Jim, I want to talk to you. We want to sign you. Uh, we still have Ken Stabler. The Snake's still the quarterback. They end up getting Dan Pastorini. As you know the story, Dan Pastorini breaks his leg. And at the lowest moment of Jim Plunkett's personal life, right, we're talking about Derek Carr this week at the podium showing emotion. Think of this story. The rookie of the year, the Heisman Trophy winner, cut by the 49ers, not going to play again, and he gets the miraculous call from Al Davis. Al Davis doesn't pick up the phone and call Jim Plunkett. What happens? Do the Raiders win Super Bowl 15 and 18? I don't know. Maybe one of them. They don't have Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett comes in. Al Davis says, rest up and heal. And he told them, and this is Jim's words, not mine, that you will be the starter for the Raiders at some point. Be ready. I'm like, oh, my God. The people in the room are just like, this is incredible. Then he goes on to a Super Bowl wins and his favorite teammate, Don Mosbard, didn't know that. Uh, they asked him, who's your favorite receiver all time? I'm like, whoa, I think I know the answer to this, Cliff. He goes, no, Bobby Chandler. He goes, Bobby Chandler had the best hands he ever had. Todd Christensen, he played a, paid a huge compliment to Cliff Branch. He said Cliff didn't have the greatest hands of all time, but he was the best playmaker, big play playmaker he ever played with. And then Jim ended up talking about, you know, his family, his grandkids, and all of this. So through all the storm that I've been talking about and the chaos and everybody wants to be so negative, rightfully so, you have an opinion on why the Raiders are struggling this year. Last night I was transported to a portal of really cool stuff that I wanted to share with you. Why wouldn't I? I thought it was a pretty good uh, thing to share with you today on adversity. I don't know what's going to happen to the Raiders in Denver. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the year, how many games they're going to win. But I can tell you one thing, nobody on that roster, there's not a single human being on the Raider roster who ever closely went through what Jim Plunkett went through. Sorry, that's not knocking him. There's been adversity. You know, Max is a young guy, sobriety. He's been through a lot. There's been other players that lost family members, all that. I get it. I just told you about Jim Plunkett and what Jim Plunkett went through, and what Jim Plunkett went through with his blind parents, his siblings, getting cut, getting physically beat up, the highs and lows of a legend, a legend. 
So when you think of all this adversity, I always try to tie things together on the broadcast. Think of Jim Plunkett. Derek Carr's not going to be Jim Plunkett. Derek Carr's career stats are going to triple lap Jim Plunkett's. Touchdowns, right? Attempts, yards, all of that. And Derek has the opportunity to have a Jim Plunkett moment in his career. He definitely does. In Las Vegas or somewhere else down the road. I hope it's in Vegas. But the story of the NFL cannot be told without Jim Plunkett. And for everybody says, oh, well, why isn't Jim in the Hall of Fame? I get, I get asked that all the time. Jim doesn't have the stats anywhere, anywhere near the Hall of Fame. He doesn't have the stats. We know that. And the stats are getting crazier, right? Brady threw for 100,000 yards. 100,000. You got guys throwing for 70, 65,000 yards. You got to throw that out with Jim Plunkett. With Jim Plunkett, you have to add in the rookie of the year, the comeback player of the year, two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, and to me, the most important, which I saved for last, the first Latino, the first Latino quarterback to win a Super Bowl. That's got to mean something. And it meant something to Coach Flores, who they made wait forever on that. A gentleman in the crowd, at, at last night, I'll wrap it up with this, said something. He stood up with the microphone. We had a Q&A period there and said, Jim, you're a role model. And I've been a big fan of yours. What is it like being a role model for the Native American, the Native American community? And Jim let him ask his question. And Jim paused and said, I'm not Native American. I'm Mexican. That's my descent. And it wasn't an embarrassing moment for the gentleman who asked the question. He just thought Jim was Native American. And Jim explained that, you know, he's Latino, Mexican. His family came from Albuquerque and San Jose and all of that. And then Jim said something that was really emotional. He said, you know, I don't try to be a role model. He goes, I guess I am. I just try to live my life a certain way. And then people react to that. So that was last night. I want to thank the Raiders. I want to thank Bank of America, everybody behind the scenes who put me in that position to let me emcee these events from time to time. And I came home last night with my wife and I said, man, I've taken off my tie and suit at home. And I said, I just had a great experience with Jim Plunkett. And she's like, tell me about it. And I shared with her about Jim and it was a great ending to my evening because I knew I was going to come in today and roll up the sleeves and get ready for the Broncos and the negativity about the Raiders losing. I just thought it would be a positive story to see. So when you see Jim Plunkett next time at the torch, at a signing, at a golf event, you know, just tell him how great he is and what his story is. He doesn't need to hear it, but it's a story of a lifetime, and he should be the next Raider inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's going to take a different type of conversation a different speech, not about stats, touchdowns, and yards, but about what this human being did for the NFL as he played in the NFL and the glory he brought, brought to the NFL and the silver and black. Let's continue here. 702-365-9200. Brandon Cristal from KOA tomorrow. Broncos Insider will join us, plus our regulars who we have storming in to come on in, including Lee Sterling picking games for us and our insiders that we have here every day for you, Monday to Friday, on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio.
ultimately we've been in a bunch of games, you know, and, and, and so I, like I said, I choose to believe that those are right there and we have an opportunity if we can just, you know, improve and, and do a few things better. And again, that's, that's coaching, playing everything. That's not just one thing. Um, so I, I'm not ready to say anything about where we are or where we're not, you know, I'm, we're going to dive in this week and we're going to do everything we can to win this one and keep going. And, you know, at the end of the day, we'll figure out, you know, what, what, what wasn't working, what isn't working, and, and then we'll try to make some adjustments to, to help it grow going forward. But um, I don't think anybody's hitting a, a button right now and saying, hey, we're, it's not this or not that. We're going to keep going with it and keep evaluating ourselves and everybody around us and, and figure out exactly what we need to do as we move forward. Josh McDaniels from earlier today. Vinny Bonsignor joins us from Vegas Nation, the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and Raider Nation Radio. And Vinny, as we begin, I thought that was his most important press conference. I listened to every word and watched it. He talked about the plan, where they are. I thought he was really elaborate on the definition of the Broncos, first time to what he's about to see. What was your takeaway asking questions right there in the front row? Yeah, uh, and thanks for having me on, uh, JT. Uh, You know, I, I agree with you, and you know, from his perspective and the 53 players that are in that locker room and the, and the you know, 16 practice squad players, you know, their immediate focus is on the Denver Broncos. It's actually on Wednesday's practice, which is what they're doing uh, today, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, playing the game on Sunday. There's longer-range, bigger-picture things that are absolutely being addressed and being thought about and being planned out uh, on another side of the building. But for Josh McDaniels and, and this group of Raiders, they want to win as many games as possible from this point forward. Um, and everything else that follows that, wherever it is that that takes them, whether uh, it's, you know, 2-15 and 15 or, or whatever the record might be, uh, you'll sit there or they'll sit there and, and look at things and, and try to figure out how do you get better from this point on. Whether you win the Super Bowl or, or you know, have the second pick in the draft, that's what's going to happen. But for right now, Josh McDaniels and the Raiders are focused on right now. I'm always fascinated by the plan in anything in life, business, uh, the way a movie's made, the way we talk about a- anything that's happening in our lives, your business model at home with your family. I know you went on a college trip with your son. My son's the plan to get out of college, get a job. You know, everyone has a plan in life, like Mike Tyson said, until you get punched in the face. And they got punched in the face at 2-7. and seven. The plan is still the same plan, but the noise in the background and the questioning of the plan it just gets a little bit more intense when you're not winning. What have you noticed with these press conferences as more and more people are asking about the plan and how they're navigating through it? Yeah, um, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a great question and a great point. And, you know, if you're Josh McDaniels and, and you're the players on the team and you're Dave Ziegler, um, obviously you're not happy, you're not satisfied, you're frustrated, you're mad, you're angry, you're disappointed with the immediate results. Um, but at the same time, you do have, if you're Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels and Mark Davis, for that matter, um, you know, a bigger ideas for this team, a, a, a plan for where you ultimately want to be, not necessarily sneaking into the playoffs or having a roster that you have to replace 23 players every year or spend a whole bunch of money because you didn't draft well to fill a bunch of holes that your draft picks that didn't pan out created. You want to get away from that, and that's part of that is what the bigger, grander plan uh, is, is all about. It doesn't guarantee that this group is going to get them there, uh, but they're going to get the necessary time to do exactly that. They don't want to be a team that needs to win 
um, you know, seven, you know, uh, last second, last possession types of games. They don't want to be in those types of games consistently. Last year they won a, a you know a, a good share of those. This year they're losing a, a good share of those. The ultimate goal is to not be in that situation over and over and over again. They want to be an organization and be a team that can dominate and run away from opponents. And you don't get there until you have the the the, the kind of roster that allows you to do that. And right now this roster just isn't there. It's not good enough to overcome not having Darren Waller out there and Hunter Retro. It's not good enough to overcome the struggles of this offensive line. It's not good enough to overcome the fact that Chandler Jones hasn't delivered uh, as expected. It's just not good enough to overcome those types of, of obstacles that have been created. At some point, maybe down the road, they will be, uh, but, but, but that's what they're trying to escape. They're trying to escape having to be year to game in and game out in, in close games. They want to be better than that. And, and whether they get there or not, we're all going to you know see. But they're going to get the necessary time to do it. Vinny Monsignor is our guest, kind enough to join us every week, big part of our show. Speaking of Darren Waller, he got paid a boatload of money, deservingly so, A, because of his athletic ability and freakish talent that he plays. Number two, he backed it up. Number three, he's fantastic in the community, going into the tunnels, his sobriety and all that. No one will debate that. But he got the bag. He got all the money. What should be the expectations for Darren Waller now in this organization getting back on the field and contrib- contributing going forward in this season that's slipping away? Yeah, um, you know, and, and, and not having him out there, let's, let's be honest, he's been out there for four games and eight plays of a fifth game. Uh, that's not what anybody envisioned nine games into the season. Obviously, you can't account for injuries, and he's been hurt, and that's a valid uh, explanation. But um, it's one thing a month ago when, you know, hey, take your time, can't wait to get you back. And if you're winning, it's all, hey, take, keep taking your time till you get back. Uh, it'll make things even better when you, get, when, you, when you get back here. But when you're losing and when you're struggling and when you're losing close games, Mm-hmm. And understanding and knowing that 83 uh, could, could, could play a pivotal role in some of those games going in the other direction. Uh, you know, imagine having Darren Waller uh, in that last possession against the Kansas City Chiefs or in the last possession against the Indianapolis Colts or in the last possession against that team and this team. All these games uh, that when, when he hasn't been out there, had he been out there, what kind of a difference could he have made? Could he have been part of the solution of winning a few of those games? I would imagine that there's a lot of people in that building that think, yeah, you know, if, if 83 was on the field, things might be a little bit different. I'm not saying he's the end-all, be-all, but mm-hmm. just imagine being in those situations and having that type of a weapon at your disposal and not having that type of weapon. And I think the frustration is, you know, guys in that locker room saying, man, uh, it would have been a big difference. It would have been nice to have, Darren Waller out there, um, but he hasn't been out there, and there's there's a little bit of frustration of, o- over that. Wrapping it up with Vinny. So, Vinny, last thing, you were at Patrick Graham's press conference. He's not the first defensive coordinator ever to start a year and have a defense just hit rock bottom or close to it. It's happened before in this league. The combination is most of those guys don't come back, or they're not around long-term in some, unless something drastically changes. You're at practice when you can see it. You're in the press box looking down. I cannot believe how soft this defense is in the zone coverage. If you're going to be in the zone coverage, and hear me out here because I've talked to legends about this, if you're in zone coverage and the ball drops in in front of you or wherever it is, you play violent to get to the ball. You take people's 
helmets and you drive them hard, you tackle because you're playing off of them, you see the play in front of you, and then you sprint to the ball and have momentum to make a violent play. I see none of that. There's been a couple of nice turnovers here, but overall that. And I, I'm just shocked at the refusal to let some of these guys play man-to-man, bump and run, and show if they can play physical or not. I don't know, Vinny, who should be back next year if they won't play bump and run, if they won't guard on the outside and play physical. How do you evaluate these guys? Well, uh, you know, to be perfectly frank, Frank, they've tried that too. <laughs> they've tried everything uh, defensively. Uh, including, you know, scaling it back and, you know, dummying it down, if you want to use that term. Um, you know, and, and that just, when you when you start doing that, that's a slippery slope because you're just making things easier for the opposing offense, as mm-hmm. you just said, as you just alluded to. Um, but the, 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 the bottom line is, you know, with Scandler Jones, they, look, at the, the vision was having a dominant pass rush with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones and hope you get, you know, what you can get from the inside. Uh, which would mitigate some of the issues that you had on the back end and, and you know, maybe at linebacker as well. Well, without getting a, being able to get a pass rush, it leaves a vulnerable secondary, even more vulnerable uh, at this mm-hmm. point. And they have tried everything. Um, but uh, the bottom line is they're going to have to go out and find players uh, eventually, you know, in the draft, next free agency, that can do exactly what you just talked about, whether you're playing – are able to play man defense and pull that off, whether you're able to you know, play zone defense and do the things that you talked about, you need to get the players that can do it. And right now, if we're being perfectly frank and perfectly honest, they don't have enough of those types of players. And mm-hmm. that's a big change that's going to occur uh, as, as, as the Raiders move forward. I agree with you. Let's talk about your proud partners and what you have in store this week, Minnie. Yep. Uh, well, we're over at uh, the Rockstar Bar and Grill uh, tomorrow night, uh, starting about 5 o'clock. Uh, and then also on Saturdays and Sundays, they have college watch parties and NFL watch parties, so go check them out. Uh, obviously, Embajador Tequila uh, puts, puts all that on. We're not going to be there for the next couple of weeks because the Raiders are on the road, but we'll be back uh, the night before the uh, Chargers game uh, in early December, so check us out there. Uh, but they always do a great job, and even if we're not there, uh, they have a lot of fun, a lot of great specials over at the Rockstar Bar and Grill at the Bajador Tequila Saturdays and Sundays. Thank you, Vinny. We'll talk to you next week. I'll see you before that. Appreciate you. All right, JT. Take care. Vinny Bonsignor, Raider Insider, everything he does. So Vinny talks a lot about what I talk about. He talks about it in his voice. I talk about it in my voice. And, you know, we're just two guys with opinions here. And we got Q and we got Clay, Heidi, and Vinny jumps in on the morning. And all of our insiders and guests, all of our insiders and guests are trying to just Come up, come up, come up, come up with content, right? Try to come up with things that are engaging, that can entertain you at times or keep you informed. And that's where I come into play. I'm not a comedian on the radio. I'm not here to entertain and to wear a nose and to do backflips. I'm here to just maybe give you a little bit of information that you might not know or from what I'm hearing. And the one thing that excites me about this game is the Raiders offense having to wake up. Raiders scored 32 against Denver, 32. No team in football has scored more than 19 against Denver. Raiders at 32. No one else has gone over 19. What does that tell you? It tells you that no one scored more than 19. A bunch of much better teams than the Raiders. So the Raiders have to go from scoring 32, where the coach talked about how different the team is, to getting back and winning this game. Can they score and do something that no other team has done? Score in the 20s. So I have a different opinion about how low-scoring a game this could be because the Raiders' offense is struggling and Denver's defense is pretty stout. Hardcore Raider. 
He's in Colorado. Thanks for calling in. Go ahead. Hey, uh, first of all, Jim Plunkett should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. And, yes. Uh, look forward to hopefully hearing uh, that interview. And uh, much respect to uh, you and Jim Plunkett. And uh, I'm sure that's going to be great. But, um, you know, the, the leadership thing I talked about the other day, I think it just rolls into even still, like, you know, I mean, Gruden told us that it wasn't a rebuild, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, and then he had to break it down. And then McDaniels told us the same thing, and they had to break it down. Now, I understand uh, with a lot of years of management and stuff, there's always like an evaluation period where, you know, you got to kind of – the best leaders can kind of sit back and evaluate any, te- any team, uh, you know, even if it's football. So, you know, I get that part, okay, mm-hmm. and, you know, trust the process and be patient. But the best leaders are also ones that adjust their style to the strengths of their team and be willing – to figure out the best the best scenario for their teams and positions for success. Well, how do you do that? Wait, wait a just, second. Hold on. Let's go back to the hot tub time machine. What does Josh McDaniel do at that introductory press conference where they just signed Chandler Jones to try to do what you do, get the strength as max, get them help with Chandler, right, thinking that's going to be good. Uh, trade, trade for Devontae, two first-round picks. So bringing in a guy on their watch – going to make Derek and the offense better. What more could he have said at the press conference about wanting to win now and having a plan? The plan's not working this season, and I get that. But what what did I miss that he should have said? Should he have said, Rich Basaccia won 10, and I'm going to win 13? What am I missing? What should he have said to you? Hey, well, I, I don't know how they do stuff on the East Coast, but Raider Nation is, is as real as it gets as a mm-hmm. fan base. And the ultimate thing is, like, you know, we're going to call BS when we see it. Like okay. if, if, if we're seeing that we're getting lied to or we're getting hoodwinked on, I mean, just be honest with us of all things. You know, you can't come in with a sledgehammer under any organization or team environment and just force your way on players. It kills the, uh, the morale of, of, of the team. You have to be willing to be fluid and adjust to people's strengths to get the best out of them. And that's okay, and who, who didn't they, who didn't they, they was, okay, who did he do that with? Who who did he lean on well, and get ugly with and okay, yell at? Well, who Hunter, who did he Hunter, do this to? Hunter Renfro has been out, but Hunter Renfro they're not running him right. They're, okay. they're clipping his wings as I said week two, so they weren't uh, catering to Hunter Renfro's strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abram, none of the organization. Uh, oh, stop with Abram! Stop! Use, stop with stop with Jonathan right? Abram! Jonathan Abram was not going to okay. be here no matter what. Stop! That was two years two okay. years before Josh McDaniel game here. Jonathan Abram wasn't going to be here after his fifth year option. So let, let's stop with that. Okay. So besides Jonathan Abram, there's mm-hmm. other guys too that like you have to figure out a way, even if it's a motivational mm-hmm. speech, to get the best out of those guys. And okay. Gruden probably got players to play better than they really were. So you're assuming, and, and I appreciate the call. You made good points. I'm up against it. You're assuming that he's not giving motivational speeches? You're assuming that he's not giving motivational speeches, teaching, trying to get people better, talking to them one-on-one? What are we assuming here? What are we assuming here? We're assuming they're losing, so we're assuming, I guess, the coach isn't motivating anybody. He wasn't doing this. He's not connecting with players. Is that what we're assuming? Everything I hear from Devontae, he's connected with him. Derek Carr was almost in tears how much, quote, I love Josh. I don't like him. I love Josh. Max is all in. So, again, we're, we're, it's good radio. We're trying to figure out what the point is, what the point is, what the point is. But I got to put up the stop sign if you're making stuff up. Well, he's not motivating the way Gruden is. No, you don't know that. You don't know that at all. You just know that John Gruden is a much more flamboyant motivator. Bill Belichick doesn't talk to the media, doesn't say a word to the media, 
just talks like an old curmudgeon. You think he motivates his team? Maybe the great motivator of all time, but we don't see it. We don't, we're not behind the walls of the one patriot place. So everything you're saying is really fair, and I appreciate you bringing it up. But don't assume that someone's not doing something because you're not inside the building. You don't know that. And that's the type of heat this guy's getting. Everybody's assuming everything's wrong because they lost six one-possession games. Sucks they lost six one-possession games. It would suck if they lost two one-possession games. They lost six, and everybody assumes the sky's falling. It's the worst thing ever. I can't change your mind if you're that person, nor do I want to. And I could be wrong, and I've been wrong five times a day before breakfast my whole life. If I'm wrong on this a year from now, you'll all come back and remind me I'm wrong. Some with no profile eggshells on Twitter telling me and sliding into my DMs. You'll tell me. I get it. I'm just telling you, don't assume everything is bad just because of the record. What's bad is the record and these devastating losses. But from there's a lot of people in that building, coaches and especially players, who are all in, all in. And maybe there's a few that's not, and it's making you believe that they're all not into it. That is inaccurate, and that isn't fair. Hell of a show today, Bobby. Way to pull it off. Hell of a show today. A lot of good energy from Chris in his first call. Ripping, ripping Belichick on Chris's birthday to that last caller who was very good. I think we have the best of the best on this show, and I thank you all for that. We'll back, be back here tomorrow. Look forward to talking to you then. Cues on deck.